0: Here in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, predictive analytics and machine learning are all the rage, but how do companies actually derive value, derive a a return on investment? From these technologies what do they need to know beforehand and what do they need to do in order to make sure that they can leverage these technologies profitably that's exactly the question that we ask ronan murray uh dr ronan murray who joins us this week in the tech emergence podcast is a phd from tel aviv university who's now the cto and founder of dm way which is a predictive analytics and machine learning platform Uh, based in Israel. We speak about not only what companies need to do in order to leverage machine learning profitably, but also how smart executives are making the right decision around which of these platforms or predictive analytics solutions they're choosing for their own companies. There's no easy basis for comparison. So what helps people make a good decision? We delve a little bit into that as well. So hope you enjoy this episode with Ronan Miri. So Ronan, the first question I wanted to ask you is, I'm aware that solutions like yours uh, that involve machine learning and predictive analytics, while they're powerful, robust, certainly many folks might say sort of a wave of the future in terms of making sense of the gargantuan streams of data that exist, they're not like push-button problem solvers that, that you know get everything done on their own. There is potentially some preparatory work that companies have to do before implementing predictive analytics, before implementing machine learning into their company. When you see companies do this right, when you see them really sort of set their their ducks in a row properly before implementing machine learning, what do they do? What do smart companies do sort of before they bring in a machine learning solution?
1: I I think of two two prerequisites in the process. First of all, you need to understand the business problem. And I can give you an example. For example, if you're talking about the default of of a loan, you need to understand uh, uh, how you're going to define it, whether it's the default in the first year, a longer period, a shorter period. Uh, so understanding the business problem is an issue, especially in problems like churn, that is sometimes very difficult to articulate what the churn is or, if you want to analyze it, you need to understand that what you're interested in is to reduce the churn and uh, not just analyze the churn just to predict who is going to churn. So all of the all of these questions need a better uh, business understanding of the problem. This is uh, one of the things. Got it. The other the other thing is um, right. having a, a proper data. Uh, so you need, you need the data, you need to be able to merge many different uh, sources of data in the organization, to combine them into big data solution around the, in the organization. You need to uh, clean the data before you start the analysis. All of that are prerequisite to uh, starting any type of advanced analytics.
0: Got it, yeah, really implementing something with some some significant sort of to see a significant return on investment. I've heard both of those notions actually echoed um in speaking with other sort of consultants in this field, not necessarily vendors, but people who go into bigger companies and build out a machine vision application or a recommendation application um where they've they've stated both of these things. I'd like to delve a little bit into both of them. Getting the business problem clear, it, it sounds like from your perspective, that that means knowing so, sort of not just saying, hey, we need to figure out customer churn, but understanding how do you want to define that? You know, is customer churn, you know, average number of months of stick? Is customer churn average customer lifetime value before they leave? Is customer churn? So are you talking about kind of making the business problem clear so that, you know, everyone on the team sort of knows exactly what we're trying to to get at?
1: yeah I think that a good articulation of the problem could actually lead to a better uh, data collection, could lead to a better uh, preparation of uh, the analysis data set and would lead uh, definitely to a better understanding of the business. Uh, at least from my experience, uh, one of our clients is is uh, yes, it's an Israeli uh, second largest cable TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was sitting with the marketing manager there and she really understood the business that she's in. She could actually articulate very uh, clear how she defined the churn in different period of time of, uh, of, the, uh, of their clients. So given all these insights, her BI department could actually build and support everything that you've asked for using uh, the data. And yeah. this is a successful story that <laughs> starts with good articulation of the business problem.
0: Yeah, That's, that's a, a an interesting point you make, Ronan. And it makes a lot of intuitive sense. You know, if you can frame the problem properly, not just vaguely like, oh, well, we, you know, we really need to reduce churn. But what does churn mean? How are we defining it? Um, What are we measuring it by? What are examples of it? If it's uh, crystal clear, then like you said, the business intelligence folks know what to track. You know, the marketing folks know what to track. Everybody's really on the same page about sort of the root of the matter, and and we can start to collect and make sense of data along one concise idea. The other thing that you'd mentioned, Ronan, was, you know, cleaning the data, which again, you know, a notion that's been hearkened to many a time when, when I've done interviews with folks who are kind of more in the consultant role with bigger companies going in and building out these applications. You know, that, that sounds as though it implies some degree of sort of data science expertise or maybe just business intelligence expertise. What does this generally mean and imply? You know, my, my rough conception here, Ronan, might be that let's say, you know, someone has a, a CRM system that's full of customer contacts and we can see all their purchases and we want to figure out their customer lifetime value. Maybe you know the excel sheet that gets exported from from that system comes out with certain fields in the wrong places or kind of exports the zip code the wrong way so we never really know where people actually are geographically um and that and that we need to kind of go back in and edit those fields and and edit the zip codes and things along those lines to make sure that everything is sort of in line. That's probably a very sort of novice level cleaning of the data. To use the term that you said, what are other examples here? What what does this really imply? What is kind of the nuts and bolts of of the meaning of this thing? Cleaning the data when when you go into to really build a a robust machine learning application. What have you seen?
1: Well, I think that one of the biggest issues that the uh, Data is coming from many different uh, data sources in, within the organization yeah and it's very difficult to take the CRM uh, system that probably has one provider and operational system that have another provider and link and merge the data together and, and let it work so there's a lot of uh, ongoing process that needs to make sure that you probably, create a single point of view of every customer in your organization. Uh, Everything that is related to it is linked from many different sources. And there's also the issues, uh, like uh, having the right address, uh, which is not uh, trivial. (laughs) No, it's not. Usually it's a free text. Yep. So it's actually combined with a lot of small projects that what's important is that they are not related only for, I would say, advanced analytics. They're related to reporting, they're related to BI, uh, dashboards, and what's, whatever. And they are not related to a specific analytic project. The benefits are way beyond just yeah. having one report that is working properly.
0: So, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not like, a, hey, you should really clean and make sense of your data across your data streams and across your sources and be able to tie in and sort of back check this stuff and uh, make sure that you can make sense of it, you know, in the nick of time, uh, not just so that you can figure out customer churn with machine learning, but so that all of your other reports actually make sense, so that your company can, uh, can move faster in general, can make sense of its information in general. So fortunately, it sounds like that process of sort of, cleaning your data and making sure you have access to what you need is something that that clearly has sort of positive ramifications outside of building a a predictive analytics, you know, application within the business. True. True. Got it. And so knowing that you've been in a lot of different businesses, Ronan, I know DMWay. I mean, you know, you guys are selling to smaller organizations and then also, you know, companies that are quite large, uh, you know, energy sector and, and then, you know e-commerce and and fintech and all sorts of different spaces. you've seen a lot of different initial applications for uh, predictive analytics type tools. Um, you've seen some that have been unsuccessful. you've seen some that have been successful. In your experience, and if it's possible to speak broadly, what have been some examples of of generally lower hanging fruit for companies? you know places where so long as you have the information and business problem right, you know, this particular thing is something that you can probably gain value from. This is this is a kind of report, a kind of application that in general, if you have the information right, is a low-hanging fruit for an ROI for predictive analytics. Are there any examples of that sort of across industry that you see as just generally winners, kind of easy wins compared to, you know, other maybe more complicated applications?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, historically predictive analytics started with uh, finance, uh, credit uh, risk, uh, loan defaults and and things like that. And I think that uh, even today, if you look at the fintech industry, uh, there is a very strong demand for uh, more advanced uh, algorithms, more advanced models. And I think that uh, this is definitely uh, something that is, is producing high value with uh, probably very minimal uh, efforts because usually you have all the data ready. Uh, the other is um, all the models related to targeting uh, uh, users, um, churn, lifetime value of users. I see all of many variation in many different industries. It's actually across many domains. Uh but the the problems are the same and I think the the value uh is, is very large. There.
0: Huh. In in predicting customer lifetime value you mean?
1: Everything relates to a customer. Lifetime value, uh behavioral targeting of uh, customers and churn
0: Yeah, churn you mentioned before, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, so all of all of these uh, variation of understanding your customer better, giving him uh, a better offer uh, at the right time uh, to increase the value and prevent
0: uh, churn of customers. Yes, of course. And so it sounds like you know, in customer lifetime value, uh, I imagine what you might be able to assess is what could be our customer lifetime value. Um, given a different lead source, or given a different marketing campaign, or given a different first product that they purchase, you know, people that purchase product X are more likely to stick around and spend more than people who purchase product Y. I, I, I imagine it's is it's probably quite different per company in terms of what you're doing with customer lifetime value, or are some are there some similarities there? Is customer lifetime value by lead source, for example, a a particularly important application? Or or is it really quite varied depending on the business use case? Have you seen patterns there?
1: Well, I think in basics it's the same. You always look at the customer uh, characteristics. You also always look at the sources if you acquire lead on the sources. Sometimes you have additional information, but this is probably more related to the, the business. Uh, but the process is very similar. Uh, If it's a lead and the the lead hasn't done any activity, so you analyze whatever information you have at the time, if it's uh, someone like uh, a gaming industry uh, and similar industries, you look at the activity of this uh, user in the first 24 hours or so, and then you could actually have a very accurate model um, uh, determining the, the lifetime value uh, of that uh, specific user, so it, it's very similar, but with some adaptation
0: to to the industry. Got it. it's uh, so, probably important things to bear in mind for anybody who's listening in right now and sort of imagining how this may apply uh, to their own business might be a decent amount of overlap with other, you know, business problems across industries. And speaking to that point, Ronan, uh, knowing that there's folks probably tuned in, you know, considering whether or how they might implement predictive analytics or machine learning into their business clearly a trend that's picking up speed you know I'm, I'm here in the valley where this is kind of neat and hip and and sort of all the rage uh but even well outside of here you know clearly uh, overseas where where you're at or you know east coast or across the board leveraging predictive analytics in a more robust way is is really sort of becoming par for the course um data data science talent is quite limited and so uh, people are struggling there but I think most folks understand that this is something that they ought to be doing. I'm interested in this question, Ronan. You know, right now there are companies aiming to implement predictive analytics, aiming to implement machine learning, and unlike other spaces like CRMs or marketing automation software or other things along those lines, there is no real easy comparison of the options available to them. There is no Gartner report. There's no magic quadrant sort of comparing all the various solutions for predictive analytics and machine learning. There's a lot of very kind of small nascent companies, you know, working with, with small, very smart teams with kind of similar objectives of having machine learning platforms. How, how are companies kind of gauging who's the right person to go with? You know, what are the decision processes that they're going through? Is there any common reference they can go to? Are they just talking to other CEOs? What do you think smart companies are doing to sort of make the right choice?
1: Uh, first of all, I would say that I think that Gartner would probably uh, add some, something in that field very soon. I think uh, they cannot neglect it. It's, it's definitely uh, catching up very fast. Uh, so probably very soon, there, there will be more information to, to make a choice. Um, I think that uh, at least in our case uh, most of our users are are not the data scientists are they are looking for the automation and democratization of uh, predictive analytics and this is what they' are looking for um, and probably they some of them are uh, getting to us through websites and uh, they have uh, demos uh, of our system and, They usually evaluate it, having a POC on uh, one of their business problems, and they get the feeling on how how they can utilize our system uh, to improve their business uh, performance.
0: Are are these folks, are you saying a lot of the folks who are purchasing this technology, and this is not a surprise at all, uh, aren't necessarily data scientists? They're people that want sort of the benefits of data science without getting a PhD.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think this is a, a new category in the data science uh, industry or the predictive analytics industry. Uh, up to now, you had to be a data scientist with tools like Dean way and maybe others. You don't need to be a data scientist. Uh, I think that our example is that I think almost all of our customers, none of them is, is a data scientist, but they're pro- producing models that even better than most human experts.
0: Got it. So, and hopefully I think that that will have to be the wave in many respects, Ronan, because there there is such a shortage of of folks who, who have that particular academic background. And while it's very easy for businesses to become interested and want to use uh, machine learning and predictive analytics, it's not all that easy for the world to produce PhDs. It actually takes a lot of time. Uh, and, and, you know, new programs have to open up at different schools and people have to spend many years doing this stuff. So clearly there's, there's demand sort of outside of the academically trained folks in this space. Given that again, Ronan, you know, we're talking about people without a, even a scientific background in this space. How are they going about making educated decisions between, you know, yourself or other companies or, you know, whatever the case may be in, in, in. Uh, machine learning and predictive analytics. Because, you know, you had mentioned Gartner at some point is likely to touch this space. Right now, they're not. There is no real kind of comparative benchmark. What kind of benchmarking are people doing? Are they talk? Are they just talking to other folks who are using it? Are they just fielding as many sales pitches as they can until they kind of pick which one they hope is going to work? Um, you know, or is there a smarter decision making process than that that companies are going through to kind of assess different solutions?
1: Yeah, I think they simply try the, the tool uh, themselves. Uh, I think that uh, in our case, the tool is uh, quite intuitive. It's easier than Excel. So they simply take it, try it, and, and if it brings them value, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's great. So, <laughs> Got it, so I think yeah. the, the, it's a yeah. very short short evaluation process.
0: And, uh, well I, I guess certainly as as a salesman you you hope the answer is always that they would try it right <laughs> if you're if you're selling cars, you really don't want people to look at comparison charts you just want them to get in your car and, and zoom down the road and whatnot so from a sales perspective i think your your lesson is valuable you uh you want to get them to use it. It sounds as though hopefully for for the folks tuned in here aiming to kind of make those vigilant decisions, maybe there are other companies like d m way who you know, allow folks to, to go in, give it a shot, take a run at it and sort of, you know, see what they can shake out of the system because it, that kind of experiential sort of one-to-one work uh, might be sort of the best sort of way of baselining different solutions when there isn't an, a sort of quote-unquote objective, you know, report or comparison on those things. So So experience has moved the needle for you guys, it sounds like. Yeah, getting definitely. people to really use things Cool. well Ronan that's that's about all we had had for time but I, I sincerely appreciate you being able to share your insights and some of your experiences in the predictive analytics field here on the Tech Emergence Podcast
1: thank you uh, Dan very much for having me uh, it was a great time uh, together well,
0: that wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast and thanks for tuning in If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.